Hey, Scott, you got a minute? Not really, Chris. Bye. No, oh, I'm not fucking with you. I got a minute, dude. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, I want to tell you a story, but I, I, I kind of have to to background something first. Have okay. you ever heard of pornography? Uh, not only have I heard of pornography, I have some handy. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, you know, anytime I find like an old vintage magazine with plenty up top in it, uh, yeah, it, the the small primitive knot at the top of my spine says I have to buy that. So yes, I am a big fan of pornography. Well, that's good because this story is about publishing, and it's we're gonna have to go back to a time called the past. Okay. And there's a guy named Earl Kemp, and Earl is a science fiction fan. He is a publisher. He's a writer. He's an editor. He does a fanzine, much like I do. He also won a Hugo. But he works for this company called Greenleaf Classics. And they publish porn paperbacks. Okay. So every are we talking are we talking like photograph porn or are we talking like story porn? We're talking story porn. Okay. Okay. Often he was one of the first people to publish gay paperback porn. Things like The Man from Pig was one of them. And all these wonderful, fascinating stories. You would love the covers, I think. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of covers from those days. Yeah, so if you look up... No man could tame his sensuality. (laughs) Yes. And Earl was outspoken, wonderful. When he ran the World Science Fiction Convention, he wrote to everyone from Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, Hugh Hefner, because they were in Chicago. Mm Mm-hmm. Yuri Gagarin, just all over the place. Guy was bold. Why not? Why not? Well, writing to Yuri Gagarin in the 1960s might not be a good political move. (laughs) If you're doing gay porn, I think writing to Yuri Gagarin is the least of your problems. (laughs) Well, that is true. But his boss and the owner of Greenleaf Classics was a guy named William Hamling. And he was also a science fiction nerd, was was a likable guy. But one of the things, and of course, when you're a porn publisher in these days, porn wasn't necessarily legal, but it also wasn't necessarily illegal. There was this whole, there was a Supreme Court argument saying, if it arises the purient interests of the viewer... Which nowadays we realize could be anything. Exactly. There's, there's some guy that's sexually attracted to my amoxicillin. <laughs> there's a dude out there. You know it and I know it. And maybe it's not even a dude. Maybe it's a chick. Maybe it's a chick that used to be a dude. We don't know. But you're somebody right. out you're, there. You're absolutely right. Yeah, somebody out there is attracted to amoxicillin in a very sexual way. Yes, you're right. And you know what the beautiful part of that is? Is that now we celebrate that, but in the I, I want to talk to that person. <laughs> I might have to do one of these calls with him at some point. <laughs> but one of the things that happens is this guy named Richard Milhouse Nixon becomes president, and you've heard of Nixon, haven't you? He's a dick in every meaning of the word. <laughs> well, Nixon and to a lesser degree Johnson were very interested in what pornography was doing to America. 
And they came up with a commission called the President's Commission on Obscenity and Pornography. What I love about the title of this is the title alone says that not all pornography is obscene or that it would just have to say obscenity or just pornography. I think this might be the case where the phrase, I don't know what pornography is, but I know it when I see it comes from. I think you are absolutely correct. And I think if my memory serves me correctly, one of the things that they actually got accomplished was legalizing the Braille edition of Playboy, thereby taking it away from the only people who actually read that for the articles. <laughs> you may be correct on that. <laughs> so here's a funny thing. At some point, Earl Kemp, or maybe it was Hamling, got a hold of the report of the president's, the presidential report of the Commission on Obscenity and Pornography. And at some point they said, you know what we need to do? We need to make an illustrated version of this report. I just picture like a lot of, a lot of uh, drawings, crudely made drawings <laughs> with, with arrows pointing different directions that the genitalia go in. <laughs> Not unlike the, the little pamphlet you get before you fly showing you where the emergency exits are, how to slide down the inflatable ramp. I've never been in a plane accident, but it seems so much fun if you survive. <laughs> I, on the other hand, think of it like an illuminated manuscript, like they were like monks, like drawing out the giant S's in front of like sexual. <laughs> three, three more, three more porno mags and we learn the true name of God, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, what they actually did was they took the report and taking published porn imagery from various things, they illustrated what was being talked about. And this included some things that today would continue to be illegal. I believe there were some bestiality images in there. But it was 100% referring to the text that was published mm -hmm. by the commission. And of course, when you do something like that, you're bound to catch the wrong type of attention. And the wrong type of attention in this case was Richard Milhouse Nixon. He was just upset that they didn't have his kind of porn in there. <laughs> Dude like Bro. hairy women. <laughs> Would not be surprised. <laughs> so what happened was he got arrested and charged with, I think, three different charges. And what's funny is that they went to trial with this. And the only thing they got, they got them for it wasn't the publishing of the pornographic magazine or a pornographic book. This thing is thick. It's like an inch and a half thick. It's, mm -hmm. it's a bug squisher full of smuttiness um, for killing your dirtiest bugs. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what they got caught for is to be able to sell the book, they created a pamphlet and they mailed out 55,000 of them that on the interior had some of the illustrations from the book. So did they get them on like, like transporting pornography across state lines using the mail? Exactly. Or... Mm. I know my smut. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is not the first time someone's been caught for this, but it's the first time, and this is 1970. Mm -hmm. It's the first time that someone is getting caught for it when creating something that is a direct political matter. 
Hamlin gets, I think, three years and one day, and Earl gets three years and one day. And they end up going to prison. They end up going to one of the prisons in California where they serve three months and one day and then get probation. Okay. What's amazing to me about this is, one, we couldn't and wouldn't do this today. There's no way that, you know, the mail has been more open about these things, but unsolicitedly <laughs> sending pornography to people uh, kind of sounds like sending dick pics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snail mail dick pics. <laughs> yes, which were also a thing. But what's more interesting to me is about how this was a free speech case that didn't necessarily rely on free speech. In this case, it was the potential of this, say, being sent to someone who was open, uh, like, say, a bookstore, and the person who opened it was someone who was underage, and that's, at that point, it becomes sort of questionable to me. Right. But it was 100% this would not have been prosecuted if Earl and William Hamling hadn't pissed off the Nixon administration. Now, Earl Kemp goes on to go away. He still is in publishing, but I first discovered him when he published his memoirs called EI in the form of an online fanzine. And he was, he also, he published the first work of my father ever published. The only thing he published in his, well, death time, he died before it was published. <laughs> but he's a really amazing figure, like massively around the world. I can't think of anyone who lived the 1960s nightmare of having to still conform to 1950s values while trying to work in a 1980s world. I would, I would argue possibly Richard Sharp Shaver mm. might have approached the nightmare, but via a different avenue. Very true. Yeah, oh man, that's a good... Damn, I'm going to have to look into that again. Ah, more, more gist for the mill. Grist is what I meant to say, but gist will do. Um, but Earl died last year, Aww. and which was a shame because Earl was a good, good guy. And if you look at pictures... should live forever. Yes! They're yes. doing God's work. They, in my <laughs> opinion, pornography, God loves pornography. God loves masturbation. If he didn't, he wouldn't have made our arms as long as they are. You're not wrong in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> but yeah, so that's Earl Kemp, a story that no one tells for some reason, possibly because it's, it's a dirty story, but it's a story that about what happens when you are living in a world that is still stuck a decade or two behind. Yeah. It feels like it feels like we've kind of done that in today's society. Like there are certain parts of today's society that we're a decade behind. <laughs> oh, yeah, I call that part the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw recently today. It was a thing that was like, why do why do we have helicopters on Mars but we can't get lights in Texas? Because scientists are in charge of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's true and sad and also funny. <laughs> oh, 